Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Pattern Portraits, an artwork and podcast by me, Lauren Godfrey. Each episode I speak with a fellow pattern lover in the creative industries about their relationship to pattern and colour and how surrounding themselves with pattern serves as a kind of armour. Each guest has selected some textiles special to them which we will discuss using the patterns to delve into their stories. I've also created an accompanying artwork, an abstract pattern portrait of the sitter through their patterns made from jesmonite inlaid with perspex and brass, and a resulting print will be available to purchase. There'll be an exhibition of all the artworks, and the prints are available on my website, laurengodfrey.co.uk. Follow Lauren Godfrey Studio and Pattern Portraits Podcast on Instagram to stay in the loop. And welcome to Pattern Portraits. Today I'm speaking with Mark Hurld, an artist and illustrator based in York. Mark has an infectious enthusiasm for objects and ephemera, art and artefacts. He has a self-confessed magpie eye, honing in on the details and the fleeting moments and running with them into a creative collage of pattern and expression. Working across collage, drawing, painting and printmaking, Mark's work can be seen far and wide from children's books and furnishing fabrics to leather marquetry handbags. He's collaborated with fashion houses and interiors brands to create patterns for adorning both your home and your body. His own exceptional home has been featured twice in World of Interiors and his book, Raucous Invention, The Joy of Making, came out in 2022. I've known Mark since I was about 14, a family friend he would join our dinner table for impassioned conversations about the pros and cons of Picasso ceramics and Matisse cutouts. He even drew a portrait of me for my 18th birthday. Now it's my turn to do the portraiture. Welcome Mark to Pattern Portraits. Hi Lauren, great to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming along. Um, Welcome. (laughs) I want to start by asking you what pattern means to you. Good question. Well I think... Why have something plain when you could have something that's stimulating, rich and exciting to look at? Um, Occasionally, I try to be tasteful and have something pared down. In fact, I've got a very beautiful set of coffee cups that are very simple and I admire them, but they remain in the cupboard. I can't help (laughs) reaching for my David Garland mug that has a kind of expressive stippled mark on it because I find that invigorating and enriching. And actually, I think pattern stimulates creativity Mm, yeah and surrounding yourself with it kind of stimulates that on a daily basis yeah I think definitely I definitely respond to patterns of all types and actually when you've asked me to make this selection the hardest thing has been able to hone it down because I like patterns of all kinds um so if you took it to extremes it could be a real 
chaotic mess if if they all came together. <laughs> but then actually, I don't believe that really because I feel like if you choose a good pattern with conviction, they can sort of jostle side by side and find their own energy. Definitely, somehow. and I and I think having visited your house and anyone that may have seen it in magazines mm-hmm. or have been there, uh, it's got that kind of um, reverberation of things next to each other creating new relationships and sort of collaborating with one another to create a buzz yeah um, so I think that's quite key yeah I, I would say so too yeah I think it's interesting when you put things together not to be too even I think it's good to have a little bit of discord a discordant note mm. within something you know I often thought about Kettle's Yard and, you know, the absolute purity. I mean, it is like the perfect interior. And I sort of had him as a kind of, you know, Jim Eade as a kind of goal for, mm. for putting things together. But actually, maybe it's a little bit too pure. Where is the kind of raucous bit of shocking pink? Uh, even though I would aspire to be as amazingly together and tasteful as that, ultimately, what I like is... Yeah, slight. Yeah, the, the odd, the odd note that isn't quite so perfect, or maybe shouts a little bit too loud. Or I mm. think that's quite interesting. Yeah, in design, definitely. But maybe we could talk. Begin by I don't know. I'm taking your point, but there is a um, a kettle's yard um, textile in my mix. Oh, go on then. Tell me. Um, well, it's called princesses, um, or it can be called kings and queens. It seems to have two names. Okay, and it's. Um, a hand-block printed lino-cut textile by Ben Nicholson. And actually, perhaps this is this would be the desert island mm. textile for me. Um, and as somebody that designs patterns and textiles, I go back to that textile when I want to see dynamism and and energy and richness and strength and boldness and primitivism. Mm. It has all of those things. Can basically, you describe yeah, the Yeah, basically pattern? I'll describe it. It's printed in a lovely sort of chalky receding blue on a white linen. And there is the profile of um, a princess's face. And that probably, I think, is Barbara Hepworth. Mm. I don't know if it precedes the very elegant love portraits that he did of her profile. But it's a slightly more folk-like image Mm. it's playful and then there's um a formalized crown below that but next to that rather figurative profile of a princess and a crown you get these wonderful circles and arcing shapes with the perfect imperfect dots Mm. inside it and actually I've got to own up to quoting the, that dot configuration in my own fabric, Bird Garden, because I just felt it was it was just such a sort of dynamic, pleasing pattern that had so much life and energy and you could feel the hand of the maker. I think mm. what it is about his his fabric is it's so assured and so right, but self-consciously imperfect in all the best ways. Right. And actually living with that or... It sort of speaks of creativity. You feel somebody has made something. And really interestingly, in the repeat structure, um, so I think it was made with two blocks. I think, I'm talking off the top of my head. There's the block with the princess and the crown. Mm. And then there's these abstract, arcing, circular um, motifs on a block. And he basically um, went princess and crown and then the circular block, and then he flipped the circular block and printed it the other way. Right. But he broke his own repeat structure self-consciously so that it wouldn't appear too skillful or mechanical. So one of the things that he set out to do was to create imperfection, and that was in response to the whole 19th century high sophistication in pattern. Mm. And it was very much about the maker. And he went to visit... um, another pattern maker called Enid Marks, who did the London Underground uh, seat covers. Yeah. And also did amazing end papers for books. She's also a hero. She'll come in later. But he went for a little bit of, um, 
you know, a chat about it, but she was almost too skillful for him. Right. And he didn't want to do it that well. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely one of my very, very favourite pants. It's so full of charm. Mm. And that what I've seen is they tend to exist in just a length, not actually a functional curtain, but just a length okay. in the interior. Um, is it framed or just No, hung? just hung. And and how does that pattern make you kind of feel? Do you like does it fill you with excitement when you see it? It kind does. Of... It really makes me want to make things. The it best ma- artworks do. It does. And I think, you know, with art broadly, I can see many shows. The ones that get me make me want to create. Mm. The one and others I can be interested in in an intellectual way, but it really the stuff that really affects me and works um, for me is when it makes me think, oh, I want to take something from that and make something myself. And that pattern absolutely does it. It, You know, it's the vigour, the dynamism, the energy. In a way, the restraint. You know, mm. it's just a single colour. Right. It's a single colour. It's simply done. Basically, a primary school child could more or less take the the pattern mm. and have a go but it's with a done... potato or something yeah with yeah. a potato yeah. or easy cut school yeah. lino yeah um but it's just so good and that that really would be a go-to pattern for me mm. really nice um i it would be interesting to hear about sort of your journey into loving pattern and sort of what your childhood was like in terms of did you did you have lots of patterns surrounding you in childhood or did you discover that later in life for yourself that's an interesting question um i think i probably did have patterns at this moment immediately pulling them to mind it's quite tricky but i remember cloth kits actually cloth kits were wonderful 70s clothes that were screen printed and you'd get a catalogue and then 70s parents or mothers probably in those days would stitch them together right and interestingly um it had been set up by somebody i think called Anne kennedy but she'd worked with peggy angus okay so again it's this pattern making pattern um a, a pattern maker sort of passing on the baton to the next generation. Mm. And she had this clothing company. Um, and so there would be amazing printed needle cord. Um, you know, girls who would go to birthday parties would have a, a needle cord dress with maybe, a, you know, a printed scene and or a forest scene with creatures, but on very fine needle cord. Right. I wasn't wearing that myself, but I obviously, but I was noticing it. Yeah. I'd really like to know how your personal style developed in terms of the actual way that you dress okay. and the patterns that you turn to. Well, that's a really interesting question. I think, how did all, all these things, I, I feel like, I don't really know where it came from, but I know that at the age of 15, my sort of, personal style was probably already established right I don't really know where it came from but Mm. I suppose it was a slightly Sloan Ranger moment Mm -hmm. and there was lots of barber wax jackets and um and churches brogues around and I noticed those there was also sort of Brideshead revisited Fair Isle neo-edwardian that i caught out of the corner of my eye and i think some kind of romantic part of me that i didn't really know existed found its way to those things Mm. and so that became a look and i also remember looking at this isn't this isn't glamorous but looking at country living in the 80s when the art direction in it was really really strong right and I remember a feature on Enid Marks, okay. um, who I just mentioned, who was this pattern maker. And I remember cutting out a couple of motifs mm. and then encountering them later on in life and thinking, well, actually, I'd minuted that as something that I really found exciting when I was 15. And then, again, I can remember um, in York, there used to be a Liberty shop. Oh. In an old arts and craft shop, it was the perfect shop for it because it was like a sort of miniature, uh, oh. miniature liberties of London in York. It was. Is uh, it Tudor or, or a sort of ne- yeah, yeah neo Tudor, but mm. but a really beautiful shop, and it was just perfect. 
and I would go into to there and upstairs there was a furnishing fabric section mm. and I would look at designers such as Collier Campbell right and you know those patterns for me define the 80s so perhaps in the 70s when I was a child I don't have at this moment I can't recall those patterns but in the 80s I was so aware mm. of Collier Campbell patterns and I remember um a woman who owned this fantastic Art Deco pottery shop in York, very, very sophisticated. She would carry an oilcloth um, Liberty Bauhaus bag, which is Collier Campbell's take on Gunter Stolz's Bauhaus textile. And she would have like a very sort of crisp, almost Japanese type suit, slightly short trouser, and would wear a bright yellow echo pump but mm. not in a grannified way very sharp way and I remember seeing this woman and think, thinking that she was incredibly stylish and of course you know I, I never actually owned a Liberty Bauhaus bag but then I got one and of course as the way with nice tote bags you inevitably leave it somewhere so I haven't <laughs> got it now but but I love that as well in that you're getting 80s Collier Campbell looking at something that happened in the Bauhaus and mm. having another life but that is a real moment in my teens where I thought, great pattern, you know, and it was etched in my conscious. Mm. And I still really, really think about that pattern and love it to this day. There's something really nice about the way that patterns get quoted. And as you said, you quoted the Ben Nicholson princess fabric yeah. in some way and that there's this sort of feedback loop of like... Um, and I think it's kind of what I'm doing in doing the pattern portraits. I'm sort of quoting lots of patterns in one place and sort of getting the chance to bring those references together. Um, and they kind of have a really nice feedback loop to yeah. to sort of to requote and quote. And I think as well, what's really interesting in style and pattern is when they're made, they feel very fresh. And maybe there's a moment where, yeah, they seem sort of, Oh, out there or strange or how did that ever happen? Mm. Then 10 years later or 15 years later, they can be reassessed and you can suddenly see them yeah. in a historical way, but they seem very, very fresh. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a classic example probably of, of um, Collier Campbell taking that Gunter Stoltz from, I don't know when it was, 1920, or I'm pulling the date off my head, mm. but... You know, it was so fresh again in the 80s. And, yeah. And now yeah. it's a classic, I think. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about the Comme des Garçons suit? That, um, okay. So one of your clothes. So I think I definitely um, like a bit of dandyism. Mm. And I was once in New York. Um, and I, I think I just split. I had a split from a girl. And I was feeling a little bit, oh, I'm miserable. Um, but I was in New York, mm. and I, I'd gone there for a silver kind of, lining. Yeah, yeah, I'd gone <laughs> there for a kind of as a as a kind of treat, right? Um, and I went into the Comme des Garçons shop. I think it's in Chelsea through a tunnel, and I just saw this suit, and I just loved everything about it. Um, the key thing that attracted me, and what we're talking about, was the pattern. Mm because it's incredibly simple. It's a grey um, a grey cotton twill, mm -hmm. and it's printed with a brick red block, long block, or maybe several blocks, but there's a feeling of irregularity. Mm. But the repeat structure is so simple, but it is absolutely wearable, and it's... Yeah. Are they in a grid or are they sort of offset? They're offset, <clears throat> slightly offset. Right. I haven't got it here, but my memory, and it's mm. quite interesting, is again, it's that energy. They're not, they're, they're yeah. slightly offset. But also, each of the printed blocks, some of them are slightly broken. So again, there's this imperfection. Yeah. But the colour, even though the pattern's bold, it's not. it's not as bold as to be harsh mm. it's incredibly wearable and I feel what's amazing about it is practically every time that I've worn that suit and I've worn it many times I've had a compliment from mm. it from a whole range of people 
But perhaps the f- most fun time to wear it was when I went to see um, the Edward Burrow show at Pallant House. Oh, yeah. And I did feel like wearing that, um, wearing that patterned suit, I felt like I could have almost been a character in one of his Harlem paintings. Amazing. It? it felt like the right suit to wear on that mm. occasion. Mm. So it probably is the most famous, most famous, favourite garment that I've ever had. Mm. Um, It's got a soft wearability to the cut of the suit as well, which I think contributes quite a lot to it being... It it has like a smart casual thing all wrapped up in one where it's sort of, yeah, it doesn't look like you're in a stiff suit. It's got like a fluidity to it. quality, I think. And also I really love the length of the of the jacket it's which long is yeah a the jacket's bit, longer than it's a little expect. bit sort of um teddy boy it's mm-hmm. a little bit edwardian dandy mm. and what do you pair it with do you tend to go with a neutral or do you ramp it up with another pattern uh, or do you put a scarf or i've had i've had lots of combinations but yeah it definitely looks good with a pattern scarf i tend to wear it with a grey or an indigo shirt, and but I definitely would go for like um, a polka dot pattern mm. scarf or something that that works really really well. Which is another of the fabrics that you've chosen. Yeah. So even though I design quite vigorous, handmade, decorative, figurative patterns, and I love those, I also really love quite classic things. There is a bit of me that really enjoys quite a simple uniform mm. every now and then. And probably one of my all-time favourite pattern things is, um, and I've had two of them, and I've just worn them, worn the first one till it literally disintegrated. Yeah. And it would be a silk Turnbull and Asa navy blue polka dot um, scarf. It couldn't be simpler. Mm. But... I absolutely, it has a romance for me. I feel like you could imagine somebody walking the streets of Paris in that, or, um, you know, if you have just a jumper and that little bit of pattern at the Mm. neck, it's just so classic and timeless, but elegant. Yeah. Um, I I just feel like it always looks good. Always, And somehow, I don't know why I feel it, it... it, it has a sort of French dandifiedness to me, mm. but in a quite a pared down. It's 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 pattern and uniform pattern at the same. You know, if, if that makes any sense. I suppose polka dot almost becomes kind of neutral form of pattern, or it's like I find it quite comforting as a pattern. There's something um, visually satisfying about the order. I mean, as opposed to what you were saying about Ben Nicholson upsetting the order within his print or. Uh, or the yeah. Comme des Garçons suit having this slightly offset rhythm, uh, kind of syncopation. Yeah. The polka dot is a very even uh, beat. And somehow that helps, maybe that, that plays quite a nice part in the symphony of an outfit to have this uh, yeah. this sort of metronome moment. Yeah, it is. Exactly. <clears throat> very, very calm. But it also has a sort of, you feel like, Anyone could wear it in any context mm. and look good. So I feel like it's the sort of thing that you could put onto any person and it would elevate them. Mm. You know, certain patterns might might make somebody look like they were being too flamboyant for themselves. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's something about that that just looks good on everyone. Yeah. Because it is so classic. But it's so simple. Mm. So I often feel like when I design patterns, I'm expected to do a mark curl. But actually, right. I would quite like to design a range of slightly pared back, mm. simple patterns that have that are beautiful, beautifully thought out in terms of colour and proportion. Mm. It would be nice to talk a bit about um, your own pattern designing and, as you say, kind of it being expected to do a certain maximalism or a certain... Uh, yeah, let's speak about um, about the scarf that you've just designed for yeah. um, a state of nature. Yeah. Um, tell me how. So how that's really interesting. Up. So we're going from something that is very, very simple and pared mm. to something that's figurative, experimental, flamboyant. Basically, um, yeah, this collaboration with the state of nature has been absolutely wonderful. During lockdown. Um, I was at home working and suddenly I got a message 
on Instagram from Barbara at State of Nature and she said, could I design a pattern for a shirt? Mm. So I designed a lino cut blue whippet pattern and we made it into a shirt. Discharge dyed in indigo. And again, there's a little bit of a connection with the Ben Nicholson there because it's again just a simple colour. People went crazy for it. Barbara is such a fastidious maker. She, We had a whole dog across the front. Mm. But the pattern matching was quite problematic. There was a lot of wastage. Right. So we couldn't make lots and lots of shirts because the way I designed the pattern, you know, there was almost too much for it to be a really commercially viable. But there were right. about 70 shirts made. Okay. But everybody wanted one. Right. So we then did a silk scarf using the same design. Oh, okay. Um, and, 75, and we made 75 of those and everybody wanted that. Yeah. So that was really, really great. Lovely success. So knowing what we'd achieved there, I thought, okay, we'll try something ambitious. And I wanted to move away from lino cut pattern because I feel like I've done so much of that. I wanted to do something that just ploughed a new furrow yeah. in effect. Um, so I decided to go with a paper cut. And I've been given some sheets of um, an 18th century French dictionary of a Bible right. by my bookbinder friend. And these papers were unbound and they were going to be thrown away. Yeah. But they're beautiful 18th century paper. But you, I'm, my, my French isn't good enough to read 18th century biblical French. So in a way, the words just became abstract elements. Okay. And I'm very interested in people like Hans Christian Andersen and his wonderful paper cuts and the poetry and the patterniness in them and the use of symmetry Mm. and poetry. I'm also really interested in, um, in New York, there are these wonderful um, figurative appliqued quilts. Mm. And what exists in the collection are the templates for each of the motifs. And they're on bits of 19th century printed paper so you get a cockerel or a dog silhouette but it's actually on a piece of paper or card with type on it yeah and I find something exciting about that and at York Book Fair I then found a whole series of sheets from a children's album of silhouettes of creatures cut out of printed paper Mm. I also know somebody who's doing writing a paper in York about Georgian waste paper. And given that there was so much waste paper in the 18th century, people did interesting things with it, like wrap food with it and, you know, make silhouettes. And it had its own life, this paper. So that gave me the idea for this scarf. So I began cutting out at random a sort of whole bank of, creatures mm. and folkish motifs and there's a sort of crown yes. there and yeah so, and, and then again you can see rabbit. that i'm using um a combination of asymmetric and symmetrical motifs yeah the symmetrical motifs are literally where i would take a bit of the paper fold it and right. then snip it out using sharp italian embroidery scissors a kind of classic snowflake method. snowflake snowflake yeah. method but you heard Embroidery scissors, no scalpels, because I like the rest- the the constraint that a scissor gives in what's possible right. in making the cut or the pattern. So that's kind of going back to Ben Nicholson intentionally upsetting the rhythm of his uh, of his pattern. That that the embroidery scissors are a kind of um, prevent you from getting to be too sophisticated in the way that the exactly are cut. exactly, and also. The feeling of cutting out Mm. is one of my favourite things. Mm. So beautiful paper. I wanted it to be dynamic and I wanted um, it to work from different directions so that when you wore the scarf, um, you know, whichever way you decided to tie it, there would be a motif in the corner. Um, so that was my... I guess the thing about scarves is that they become quite fragmented really quickly. So the corners or the little moments become quite important. In fact, the thing I most noticed when you were wearing the scarf was the zigzag on the edge, which plays a really nice part in bringing the whole thing together. And you read that wherever you're looking at it. So, yeah. So, again, if we go back to what we were talking about with the Ben Nicholson, mm. one of the things I didn't mention about Princess is there's just a single red line. Oh. 
Oh, nice. So, and and this is what I've done here. In effect, I mean, uh, the it, it's sort of the base color and neutral white. Yeah. But then there's an accent yes. color which just comes in one place. So it is quite restrained. But the idea is that that amplifies the ground color. So mm. this mustard edge amplifies the mint. But I could have had bits of mustard everywhere. Yeah. But actually having it just in one place is quite, is yeah, quite fun. You've got a wonderful sense of color and kind of... I think although you say that you admire restraint, I think I also admire your restraint. I think often when I'm making prints that I give myself the limitation of four or five colours because otherwise you can kind of go wild and actually sometimes it's even more interesting if it's just two or you know um it's amazing how much strength there is in something quite simple but I love the idea of of actual text being like a beautiful pattern in itself like a printed page is a satisfying thing uh each letter is a symbol for a sound. Each word, word is a is a yeah. sort of a, a symbol for an idea. But then to have those randomly taken. So one of the other things that I'm really interested in is finding ways of harnessing randomness within a scheme mm. to create energy and dynamism. So what one does if you turn up if you ter- you know draw a bird on a piece of printed paper. When it's reversed, you don't know what aspect of print you'll get on the on the other side. Right. And that semi-randomness animates the design. And I do that a lot in work, is I find a way of having controlled random energy ra- random elements mm. in the design which ener- energize it. So for example, if I was making a collage, I might make open gestural paint marks or dip pen scribbles on one side, turn it over draw a shape, then cut it out and see what the cut profile contains. Mm. And and I, and it's just something that you couldn't make that up if you tried to make marks on a silhouette. They're never the yeah. same as if you've made Done it marks. before it's cut. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's the same when you just are working on the other side of a printed page and mm. then you turn it over and you say, oh, well, I've got a bit of the margin or I've got... You know, the word, the word air. air. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's lovely. Yeah. Because I think it's doing things that are beyond your absolute control, mm. but doing it in a sh- an assured way. It gives the thing life and vigor and an energy. And I think that is probably my ultimate goal, mm. you know, in, in creativity, really. You're like having having a sense of liveliness in a design. Yeah. Um, I'd like to hear a bit about um kind of how pattern and making gives you strength and I suppose you mentioned when you were in New York buying this suit after a breakup and that being yeah. somewhat kind of invigorating and um but I know that you've had various health issues and things that have kind of that you've troubles that you've encountered along the way and yeah. I'm curious about how how creating and pattern and making and color has has sort of been a a tonic or a constant through that and in or not if if not it absolutely has so i feel like creativity is something that i love um basically if there's nothing else going on i would just go to my studio and start making something and I feel so privileged in that because it's almost my favourite thing. I'm a very sociable person, mm. so I would often choose to be hanging out with friends or whatever. But if if there's a day where there isn't anything, I wouldn't need to think that hard. I would just go into my studio yeah. and enjoy. And I also feel like creativity, um, you know, if you're feeling down or sad, you know, if you actually move your hands during the day and at the end of the day you've made something, you walk lighter as you leave. Mm. And I feel like, you know, in a way, if you go into a shop and buy a beautiful piece of clothing, you sort of walk out and you've got that little sort of consumer kick. I think you also get a creative kick, which is a little bit more enduring. So it's like when you've made something... It's just such a sort of wonderful feeling. Yeah, I like, think your body does literally get flooded with dopamine or something. Oh, like absolutely does. Yeah. And I think, 
you know, we were talking about what present means and it's a sort of overused word of our times. But I do think when you're in the middle of making something, it's like it's like that line that I actually, I think it was supposedly Robert Louis Stevenson that said it, but I've never really found the reference. I, it almost feels like I dreamed it <laughs> or made it up. But the line is, creativity is all about play, but play with the seriousness of playing children. Right. And that is my absolute mantra for creativity because you know it's going well uh, when you're creating, when it feels like the perfect childhood game mm. in that the sort of edges of the game are unmarked. You're in the moment. You're moving your hands. Time Fully passes immersed. by. You're creating a whole world, but there's something manifest and physical at the end of it. It doesn't get better than that. Mm. And I feel like that is such a privilege that that is my day-to-day. So, okay, yeah, I had this obscure sarcoidosis, but the great thing was that I had this place to go mm. to and and that is my focus. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, this collaboration that I've just done with the state of nature, how wonderful to be able to communicate with other people that have got a different skill set to yourself and to be able to do something more than the sum of its parts through collaboration. Yeah. So I feel perhaps and obviously we haven't talked about St. Jude's, but that's kind of where it all started yeah, and we'll get about, we'll, we'll let's get speak to about St. Jude's, yeah. So I think, you know, the collaboration that I've had with makers um has been really, really important. And Simon and Angie Lewin back in two thousand and five or six gave me the opportunity to make my first ever pattern. Mm. The interesting thing there was I didn't really realise that I was probably quite expert on pattern because I'd looked at it all was a sort of as a side interest but when I was at the Royal at Glasgow School of Art I can remember going along the sort of textile shelf and taking every book off mm. and without really knowing it I'd informed myself quite a bit about pattern so I got given the opportunity to do a pattern um for a fabric and it was called Dove Flight and I did it in a really eccentric way. I used three blocks and made a huge repeat. But actually, my first go turned out to be a pattern that I'm still proud mm. of. And it referenced people like William Morris and um, Martha Armitage, who's another amazing wallpaper designer, um, Edward Borden, um, so I sort of learned a little bit about... I, I knew more about repeat structures than I thought I did. And somehow I managed to do this pattern. And basically making patterns, um, you know, for, for interiors mm. has been such a source of delight in my work. I think... And I'm so proud of my harvest hair pattern, which... You know, maybe once in your lifetime you do something that just sort of strikes a chord. And I feel like that will always connect with people, you know. It sort of has a... It has my feeling about the countryside and nature. And I sort of knew that this would be something that people would enjoy. And I've basically got a hair leaping through um, half-cut cornfield. And I've got some part a partridge and a couple of sparrows. But interestingly, I made that with so much feeling for season as well, because we haven't really talked about my interest in nature. Mm. But every day I sort of walk in nature, yeah. like religiously. I've got Brio and dogs before that. Um, so, so much of my work is informed by that. But this harvest hair pattern printed in a sort of corn gold colour just sums up a cornfield or a stubble field which is my sort of favourite time of year in fact you know standing in a stubble field is is like one of the great colour experiences of my year because everybody or everything looks amazing in a stubble field it's such a beautiful colour mm. so actually to create a pattern for a room that uses that colour just felt so right mm. Um and again, we've talked about Edward Borden. So there's a lovely book cover that he did. Um, I think it's called um, 
game cookery or I forget the exact title, but it was an Ambrose Heath cookbook. And he had um, a hare and some pheasants looking out of Stubblefield. And that was definitely a, a sort of trigger for this. And actually, I looked at the way that he dealt with the corn and that gave me a lovely idea. And then by association, um, Peggy Angus had made a wonderful wheat sheaf uh, repeating pattern mm. for Olive Cook. And Olive Cook was this amazing tastemaker who, in the 50s, who worked on the Saturday books. And she yeah. wrote about the democratisation of collecting and this lovely essay called The Art of Acquisition. Anyway, Peggy made a, a, a wheat sheaf um, fabric for Olive's kitchen and amazingly, now I've got a piece of the very f the very wallpaper that hung in furlongs, which was where Revilius painted and drew, and and again it's this wheat sheaf motif. So it's something about you know the British connection to you know the pastoral landscape mm. and seasons and harvest and the colour of harvest and all of those things interconnect. And that pattern for me has that kind of association. And I feel that resonates with other people and that's why it's popular. Yeah. Nature is such a relatable um, reference, really. It I is. mean, it's we all kind of get, fill up our cup by going into nature and it's a very it's a very special thing to bring that indoors and, and to kind of harness it with the energy that you do um, and the kind of... I think you capture because you love it so deeply. I think you capture the truth of what that of that of what that is. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting. I think it's important to be authentic, as authentic as you can. And actually, being authentic um, is actually not about trying to be authentic. It's just about being passionate and mm. and real and noticing and developing a voice that pulls on all of your personal yeah. um, inspirations. I sort of have a line that, you know, if you're trying to design your own pattern, the more you've looked at and the broader your actual field of inspiration, the more likely you are to be unique and your own rather than, you know, too close to anybody else. Yeah. So I would always think about that and that you can that you can have in, you know, like those Renaissance patterns by Fortuny and the ones that he had on the gowns of, you know, bohemian women absolutely yeah. tell me so much. But then I could also be looking at an Ely Kishimoto sort of fiery pattern yeah. on a van trainer. And I love that. That I love that both of those things excite me and I feel like taking all of those into your conscious like really helps you be yourself yeah in the way that you so that's always what I would advise sort of in a teaching capacity is really cast the net wide for inspirations and you might not work out how they'll feed in but just by looking deeply and working out what's good and learning to be to be discerning you know about what elevates something over something else in mm. your eye mm. then that equips you really well to actually make a pattern yourself I suppose. Could you tell me about um about your next fabric? Yeah well this is an interesting one um again it's sort of associations but I was given I did a piece of design for a friend Bruce Winnell and he was an amazing traveler um he he went round Afghanistan and Uzbekistan and he translated Persian poetry and he was a real he was a kind of bon viveur and traveller and explorer and mystery person and very enigmatic um but had a real eye for beauty mm. and I did a little bit of design work for him and he said, Mark Mark my dear, I think I found something that you thought of something that you might like. And he brought down this chapan, which is an Uzbek coat. And it's, and they can be thin or padded. My one is actually quite padded. And it's the most beautiful, beautiful garment. Um, 
I do wear it, but I actually have it hung on a coat hanger over a door in my bedroom and I enjoy looking at it. And it's a striped garment with a beautiful canary yellow stripe, um, a royal blue stripe, a very fine red stripe, a fine black stripe, and there's a, a cre sort of cream stripe between them. And I think what's really interesting is about about stripes in particular is they need the proportions of the stripes need to be unpredictable and dynamic to give a stripe a real life mm. and this particular stripes has it it's a bit like the stripes on a mockerware mug right um are they the, hand drawn or are no, they are they they're, 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 rigid? Wo they're, they're woven rigid stripes okay. but but there's something about the rhythm of the widths of the repeat mm. that's dynamic. So this is a stunning pattern. But what I love about it as well, we haven't really talked about the sort of exoticism of pattern. Mm. And what I really love is that it, if I put it on, it makes me feel like Matisse in his studio. It's the sort of thing that he would have drawn or worn. Right. Um, and I absolutely love that about it. And also when you... It's it's got a slight sheen to to the to the fabric, but on the inside is a completely matte floral pattern wow. that's quite a contrast, but it works in the most amazing way, and it's just a beautiful thing that is all about pattern and color. But yeah, it it it, it makes me think of you know an object from Matisse's studio, mm. and that's lovely too to surround yourself with and every now and then I wear it out mostly I wear it around the house or just look at it but every now and then I'll just wear a white shirt and a pair of jeans and wear it out on a kind of day and I, I, I absolutely love that I think the Matisse reference is really nice because um, I have found myself many a time sort of getting lost in a Matisse painting in the background of it where there's a sort of figure in the foreground and then there's this amazing rich sort of pattern on pattern overload going on in the background um which just has such i don't know uh such depth to it definitely i mean i think matisse is just wonderful i mean for color and pattern and the paper cuts and proportion of color and color combination mm. you know a pea green and a hot you know pea green and a hot pink you know he is the master yeah with color and again the sort of the feeling of life and the sort of effortless, the esprit and the and the sort of vivacity in pretty much everything he does is totally wonderful. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's yeah. That's Bow down. A, yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've noticed in recent works of yours um, that you've been uh, making these amazing collages or Im images, um, drawings and paintings within the frame. And then it's begun to kind of seep out into the into the frame. And there's this incredible, vibrant pattern that's going on on the frame. Can you talk a bit about about this this new venture? <laughs> Yeah, I sort of don't know where it's come from. <laughs> Except I do really. Well, I first of all think I've got a I've got a neat line, which is 
when you paint a frame, um, you take um, image into the realm of object. Right. So what I love is that the minute that the the image making, the mark making spills onto the frame, it becomes a whole thing. Mm. I also find the frame as a space um, really, really helpful to amplify elements within the picture. So, for example, if there's a violet flower in the picture, you can emphasise that by painting the edge of the frame violet. Yeah. So what I really tend to do when I'm making an image is get it three quarters done, then put a frame over it, paint the frame, and that allows me to amplify colours or important bits Mm. of of colour within the composition. I feel like my collages look naked without a painted frame now. Mm. Because, but again, it's the sense of, it's a sense about pattern and object and what we're talking about. It's that way that it enhances and enriches and frames. And clothes. And clothes, (laughs) yeah, and clothes. So actually, you know, so many, you know, definitely when I've got, an image in its pattern frame all together mm. it feels so complete yeah i think there's something exciting about how much you're embraced by the sort of um haute couture high fashion <laughs> world i know that sarah burton from alexander mcqueen is a big fan of um your work yeah. and you recently did a collaboration with moina can you tell me a little bit about that um well the moina com um collaboration was fantastic Nicholas Knightley saw my work I think he saw World of Interiors and he's also saw my Instagram and he sort of enjoyed the whimsical Britishness of my work Um, but that was great because I again was using cut paper and what I got asked to do was leather marquetry for the front of Superlux handbags sounds a different world but basically what I was dealing with were beautiful colours and silhouettes yeah collage really absolutely exquisite and I I was thinking about the birds as figurative elements but also as formal elements within a design because I had to think about you know how the bird would fit with the clasp of the bag Mm. given that the clasp is kind of outsized because it it, it's supposed to look trunk like right um so there's quite a lot to deal with but it was really really fun um and i'm hoping that that there's going to be another um flower pattern that comes out but it was amazing going to paris and looking at the beautiful colored leathers and thinking about proportion and thinking about a bit like with a painted frame, how you could amplify a colour in the design by having a contrasting line, it's yeah. lining colour. So, you know, I did a silhouette of, of of sort of dark, deep, peat brown birds on a slate blue black ground, but then inside the bag was a sort of beautiful lilac, pale lilac, mm. and that sort of thing is yeah. just so exciting. Um, again, it's about proportion of colour and... You know, so I I feel so privileged to have had the opportunity to do that. Really exciting. I want to ask something I ask everybody, uh, which is, um, is there a pattern that's got away or a sort of dream pattern that you covet owning one day? Hmm. There's so many patterns. I mean, like, I'm always spying amazing patterns. Well, I was going to say, you know, in the Fortuny Museum, Mm. looking at some of those incredible neo-renaissance velvet swags that are just phenomenal or that museum in venice is unbelievable unbelievable that's that main space upstairs where they've got things hung on top of the patterned textiles absolutely it's amazing. just and such a also dream so during the biennales when this chap he's called he was think he's called axel fairfoot right he curated the the shows and he would you know he'd put an alexander calder stable inside the baroque cupboard and the baroque cupboard would be in front of a fortuny and that for me Mm. is it i mean that is just so 
or upstairs you'd have um, Agnes Martin on a kind of flaking Renaissance mm. wall and just heavenly. Yeah. It really sort of bashes the whole white cube notion yeah. out of the park because all the artwork looked amazing. And actually, what's really wonderful when you get a, something like an Agnes Martin in a Renaissance room yeah. is it you don't put it into a time-based pigeonhole. Yeah. It's just a great piece of art within the context. Sure. And I feel like going to that museum enables you to see the qualities, the intrinsic qualities in all of the things. It, it in a way unifies the elements. Yeah. So the most contemporary piece of work can sit by a Renaissance sculpture and you see them as different expressions of the same thing yeah. all together. And I think, you know, so seeing, you know, a painting with a patterned grid in that context, absolutely enriching. Yeah. So that that would be a go-to place. Yeah. I suppose that's a great, that's a go-to place to feel enveloped by the pattern. Totally, <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Um, and which pattern would you save from a house fire? It would it would be the Ben Nicholson yeah. one. It definitely would be because I feel like it's where I've f- flexed my muscles. But there might be two, and somebody I haven't mentioned because he's almost ubiquitous. But he's ubiquitous because he is the daddy, basically. Mm. And that would be William Morris, right? And um, absolute genius. There's so many patterns. His repeat structures have informed everybody. Really, somebody else, Joseph Frank, who is a sort of Scandi William mm. Morris with a bit of the Wienerwerkstatt thrown in. Love it. Absolutely superb. But he could only exist by understanding a Morris right. pattern structure. So... I'm going to mention one Morris pattern, which was in my friend John Hutchinson's house. Okay. And I'll never forget the play of light through his blackthorn curtains. And um, I absolutely love that pattern. Very, very beautiful. Ben Pentreath, I think, has reissued it recently. And downstairs, he also had a simple pattern. I think it's called Michaelmas Daisy. And it was in two colour cream ground, sort of apple green leaf and a red um, red flower with apple green mm. stamens. Absolutely exquisite. That stays with me. So I haven't talked about William Morris because he, he's in the air, but so deservedly so. One of our great geniuses. Yeah. And I feel like if you want to learn about, about rhythms, ir- irrespective of whether you're wanting to do foliage or naturalistic if you look at the rhythms and the lyrical quality Mm. in his repeat it's a great way to 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 learn yeah i recently visited the william morris archive at the william morris morris gallery in walthamstow and it was amazing to kind of first of all to see the wood blocks that he used but also to understand as you say the rhythms and the depths and there's sort of in almost everyone there's a kind of three layer system there's a sort of ground where there's one pattern going on and then a second layer where there's this sort of subsidiary pattern and then finally this kind of top layer which is the one that you really read and once you start to delve you understand the complexity of I mean they're insanely complex Um, but wonderful things like there'll be a tendril of a plant. Mm. One tendril whips that way, another tendril whips that way. And when you look at that, how it guides your eye through, yeah. the, they're so, so satisfying. Yeah. Um, and then he can also do really simple too. So some of these sort of a daisy motif where you've got that, but the spacing between, you know, I think Strawberry Thief. Yeah. So charming. I mean, it's it resonates today as it did then because it's just exquisite, charming, beautiful colour. Um, his colour is also amazing. He used a discharge process. Yes. So he would begin with an indigo dyed block of, I mean, roll of fabric, and then he would block on paste, which would remove the dye yeah. from everywhere else. You know, yeah. and then he would print spot colours 
into it. So yeah, really there's a really nice physicality to that. Imagining <sighs> yeah. the kind of reverse and the positive negative going on. Yeah, but um, you know, he he is brilliant. I mean, and actually, there's a wonderful book that's a good read, where A. S. Byatt compare. I can't remember the title of the book, but he she compares um, Fortuny and Morris. Ah. She writes like a comparative, lovely little oh, essay. Look it up. It's very good. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining me on Pattern Portraits. My pleasure. It's been really good fun. I hope I've uh, said the right things. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. It's yeah. so nice yeah. and really amazing to kind of delve into your your world of pattern. Um, it's such great. a great perspective. Great. Um, Thanks. It's been really fun. And I'm looking forward to you interpreting uh, all of those patterns. Yeah. Good luck. It's probably quite a challenge. A heady cocktail. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. I like a challenge. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. Okay, great. You've been listening to Pattern Portraits with me, Lauren Godfrey. Follow us on Instagram at Pattern Portraits Podcast. The limited edition print accompanying this episode is available to buy now on laurengodfrey.co.uk. Join us next week for another chat about pattern. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.